Praise, praise the Lord. I'm Brother Don Cullen. I'm going to be sharing uh, the message with you folks tonight. And uh, welcome. If this is the first time you're visiting or if it's been a while, or welcome. <laughs> uh, you can uh, join us on Living Word Live. Hope this message is a, a blessing to you. Um, so we're going to start out in the book of John, chapter 3, verse 30. You go there, please. It's a very short verse. But there's a lot there in it. Now this is going to be John the Baptist speaking, who Jesus said was the greatest of men born to women. He was the one selected to go before the Messiah to prepare the the people of his generation for the coming King Jesus. And this is a wonderful man, a great man of God, He was also a humble man, wasn't he? He said that he wasn't worthy to baptize Jesus. Jesus insisted that he baptize him. He said he wasn't worthy to unlatch the sandal of Jesus' feet. And in John 3.30, John the Baptist said of Jesus, He must increase, but I must decrease. You know, if John knew this, it's for all of us to know too. In the life of the believer, Jesus must increase. And that word increase means to grow in influence or noticeability. His influence in our lives, his reach through our lives, his effect on our decisions, our words, our actions, and our thoughts, his authority, his noticeability in our lives must increase. Jesus must be visible in every believer's life. That's what increase means in the Greek. It means to grow, to be augmented, to be enhanced, to have more authority. More of Jesus in my life. More of Jesus in my characteristics. More of Jesus to the forefront. More of Jesus noticeable. Jesus having more and more authority over more and more areas of our lives. Amen? And since I've been talking about sowing and reaping of late, I will say this. We need to sow more of Jesus, the Word of God, into our lives. If we sow more of Jesus into our lives, we will reap more of a harvest of Jesus' qualities increasing in our lives. You know, you cannot sow His Word into your life and not get back more of Him in your life. Sow Jesus, who is the Word of God, into your life and then seek to obey Him and apply what He says, and Jesus will be more noticeable in our lives. And as the flame of Jesus grows in our lives, we're going to kindle others around us, aren't we? There's going to be fires, there's going to be brush fires ignited by the fire that's in your own life. You know, the backslider gets reconnected. The lost gets found. Hard hearts get broken up. Fallow ground gets broken up when God's people sow His Word into their lives. The Word of God will produce obedience to the Word of God in our lives. You know, if you, if you sow more and more of self into your life, you're going to get back more and more self from your life. I have found the more you talk about endeavors and money and hobbies and pursuits and likes and interests, you will get back more love for those things in your life. That's just the way it works. It's a kingdom principle, reaping and sowing, sowing and reaping. Jesus said, he that loves his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for his sake will save it unto life eternal. 
As you talk about Jesus and you let him permeate more and more areas of your life, your appetite for those things that you talk about and think about will grow. But if we talk about what excites us, which are only things of the world, you will never be satisfied with those earthly things, the Bible says. The Bible says the eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Now, it's not talking about the things of God there. It's talking about the things of the world. And if that's the way we live our lives, even as Christians, we will look back on our lives and it will have been vanity. There'll be nothing for heaven to show for it. You know, the earthly things we love to talk about in this life, food, hobbies, pleasures, they're never going to satisfy. And we're never going to get enough of them. In the last days... The Bible says that men will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Why is that? In the last days, pleasures will be at men's fingertips like never before. So as they sow more and more of those pleasures, they will get back more and more appetite for those very pleasures. You know, today we have idleness of a lot of folks with lots of free time. Work schedules are compressed. People are home because of COVID. More time on their hands. The government handed out some free money, so to speak. Seeking out pleasure to fill the emptiness in people's lives is that much easier today. You know, brethren, how many addictions in our world start with a temptation to seek pleasure and end up with an addiction to that pleasure? How destructive are those addictions in the world? You know, there was just a report for the first time in U.S. history over 100,000 people in our country died of drug overdoses. Last year, over 100,000 people. How many families were destroyed? How many lives were destroyed on top of that? But the Bible says if you sow more and more of Jesus into your life, you will be transformed into liking and desiring and being hungry for more and more of the things of God. It's one of the reasons that fasting is such a powerful tool in God's kingdom, though it is massively underutilized in the church today. When we make ourselves hungry in the natural, unto the Lord, it increases the hunger in you, period. And we end up hungering for more of the things of God. I can't fully explain that to you. I cannot fully explain that to you, but it is a fact. Hunger is hunger, and in that state of being hungry, God can work in us to be more and more hungry for the things of God. And if you're hungry for more and more of the things of God, the Bible says, Blessed are you that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for you will be filled. And as you're filled, you're going to overflow to others. Praise God. So as we sow Jesus into our lives, his word, spending time in prayer with him, fellowshipping with the brethren, like we're doing in home fellowships, we're going to get back more and more of Jesus in our lives. You know, and when we get more and more of Jesus back in our lives, there is a harvest. There is a harvest. Jesus is lifted up. He increases. He becomes more and more noticeable in our lives, in our homes, in our school, at the workplace. And when Jesus is lifted up, what does the Bible say happens? All men will be drawn unto him. Praise God. As Jesus is more noticeable, his goodness, his sweetness, his truth, his light, he draws men unto himself. Praise God. What do we desire as Christians? 
Jesus on the increase in our country. Don't we want that? Don't we want Jesus on the increase in our community, in our jobs, in our neighborhoods? But at the same time that Jesus is increasing, you know what the inverse relationship is, right, saints? As Jesus is increasing, self must decrease. There is not room for both. John said, and again, this was the greatest man born unto woman, except for Jesus himself. John said, I must decrease. Decrease means to make less or inferior. You know, it means in dignity. It means to decrease in authority or popularity. (laughs) We have to become less popular with ourselves. (laughs) Jesus is in competition, brothers, with the self in us. The Holy Spirit is looking for more and more reign in our lives. And he is in, in competition with self. That's why as Jesus goes up, self must go down. And as self goes down, Jesus goes up. Praise God. John said, I must decrease. Less of me in my life. Less of me in my characteristics. Less of me in the forefront. Less of me noticeable. Less of me even in my dignity. Makes me think of when King David danced before the Lord as the ark came up. Remember he danced in his loincloth before the people and his wife Michael mocked him. And he said, I don't care about that. I'm glorifying the Lord. His dignity went down, but God's presence in his life went up. Less authority in my own life. The authority is surrendered to Jesus. Now Jesus makes the calls. When Jesus is increasing in our lives, we pray about our decisions, don't we? Jesus, what do you say? Can I go here or there? Is Is it your will for me to do this or that? And then you wait on the Lord, don't you? Even maybe sometimes taking a vacation, you wait on the Lord. Is this the right time, Lord? How long do you want me gone for? And you wait for that green light of peace in your heart. And when we do this, we sow in more of Jesus, we may become less popular with some folks. But we're going to be more popular amongst those serving Christ. And we're going to be more popular in heaven. Praise God. You know, John said, I must decrease. I which is better known as self, our identity, our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions. In Christ, they must decrease. Less of me, more of Jesus. Self, me, less important, less noticeable, less full of authority, less popular. Praise God. You know, don't worry if you lose yourself in Christ. There will still be plenty of you there. Don't worry about that. God is not looking for robots. He made you you. You will still be you, but you can be a surrendered to Jesus, you. Praise God. We would be fortunate to be able to lose all of ourselves in Christ. We would, be for, we would count ourselves amongst the godly of the Bible if we could lose all of ourselves in Christ. How useful would we be to him if we could lose all of ourselves in Christ? But don't worry about it, Americans. We're not going to lose all of ourselves in Christ. You know, if you don't know Jesus tonight, the King, the Savior, your Creator, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're listening. That's exactly where He wants to be in your life. Jesus wants to be on the throne of your heart. Like I, as a 14-year-old boy, chose Jesus. That's what got me. I want Jesus on the throne of my heart. I'm in control. It's not working out very well, even at age 14. The good He has for you is indescribable, what He has prepared for you. 
With Jesus as Lord of your life, your eternity is secured. And you will know it in your heart. Then you follow through on that commitment all of your days. You know, I believe with all of my heart that you can truly not have a fulfilled life until you have had your eternity secured. You cannot go on to live a good and peaceable and happy life until you know that the moment you die, whether it's tonight, tomorrow, 20 years from now, or whatever, you're going to heaven. How can you possibly have peace in this world? How can you possibly be fulfilled in this world? And if you choose Jesus, you're going to know it in your heart. Praise God. That is so essential. And all you've got to do is call on him. Whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus, save me. I want to follow you, Jesus. That's all you have to do. It's very simple. And then start to follow him. And he'll work out all the other details in your life. Believe on what he did on the cross for you. And he rose again. Praise God. Now, if you've done this in the past or you do it tonight. Now, this verse applies to you as it does to most people here tonight. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 3, please. My message tonight, in case you didn't notice, is about Jesus increasing, self-decreasing. And now we're going to talk about our lives getting hid in Christ. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, please. In Colossians 3, 1, it says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. The word life here, in the Greek it's zoe. It means the living force within you. That life, that the living force within you, should be hid in Christ. You know, while I'm alive, I have a life. Do you have a life? This is my life. It consists of the things of my life. My family, possessions, activities, what I do, what I think, where I go. This is my life. What is your life? If I asked you, what is your life like, could you tell me? Kids, families, jobs, hobbies, accomplishments? Well, whatever it is that represents your life, is that life hidden in Christ with God? Jesus wants us to hide our regular old lives in him and let him increase. You know, interestingly, the word here for hid is the Greek word crypto. Crypto, it's a very popular word today. It's a word that's been made popular today because of cryptocurrencies. And it means to hide, to conceal, to escape notice. My life escaping notice, that would be pretty cool. Where we get the word crypt from, right? The crypt, tales from the crypt, which is a burial place for the dead. And it's used metaphorically to mean to conceal. My life, whatever it is, whatever your life is, is hidden in Christ with God. It is put in the crypt. It is buried. It is concealed. You know, the challenge for the modern Christian is we feel pressure to make Jesus the secret part of our life. And we leave our regular lives quite open, don't we? The devil wants us to conceal Jesus, to hide Jesus in the crypt, and live our old regular lives in the open, 
He's just fine with the Christian being blessed. Go ahead, be blessed, have a blessed life, but keep the reason for it secret. Jesus wants us to do the opposite. He wants our lives to be hidden in him. And he wants us to be vessels for the world to see more and more of him. It's the life of the new birth in us, praise God. You know, the conclusion of this burying into Christ and the emergence into a new life is found in verse 5. Let's read verse 5 of that same chapter. This is what happens when you're born again. Paul wrote here, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, who was renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So here's a listing of characteristics that are part of the old man, the old nature. And you know something, brethren? Nothing on this list that I just went over will ever serve any purpose in the kingdom of God. Never. Along with the rest of the works of the flesh, these characteristics have nothing to do with the new life Christ has given to you. The life that is increasingly producing the fruit of God's Spirit. So these are certain traits that are in our old nature. They serve no kingdom purpose, and they're to be put to death, the Bible says. They have to go. They have to go. They're not compatible with Jesus increasing. Now we see here in verse 11... A big answer to the world's problems. A big answer to America's problems. We see in verse 11, as we submit to Christ and allow our lives to be hidden in him, the societal differences that separate mankind from each other disappear. Disappear. Let's read it. Verse 11. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. You know, these are the things that men sort themselves out by. These are big categories. It is how men think of themselves today in terms of race, in terms of their nationality, in terms of their religion, economic position, slave or free. But not Christ, not in Christ. He is all and in all. In Christ, the life of Christ predominates in our lives. As Christians, we all become brothers and sisters, don't we? We're all related because of Jesus. The very telling things that separate mankind, like race, gender, nationality, your employment position, all of that disappears in Christ. This is the solution for the world's problems. Jesus Christ being hidden in him. Hallelujah. The church becomes Christ is all and in all. Praise God. So the old nature and the sins of the flesh are put away in Christ, and the big differences between mankind are put away in Christ. I want to key in on this line from verse 10. I thought a lot about this line, 
And I want to bring out this simple teaching on it. In verse 10 it says, Put on the new man who was renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So here it says that God, if you're born again, God has a new nature for us to put on. It's called the new man. The new man. The new man is different than the old man. The old man is both who we were before we were saved, and also over time, because he's dying in us over time, praise God, the Lord wants to find less and less of the old man in us, doesn't he? There was a time in my Christian walk where the old man was much stronger than he is today. Thank the Lord. He's dying. The new man is renewed continuously. He's constantly changing. He is recharged. He's made fresh. You know, it says the word here, knowledge. Whenever I see knowledge in the scriptures, this is the way I grasp it. It helps me to understand better. I, also, I always substitute when it says knowledge, knowing Jesus. Knowing God. Knowing his word. What is knowledge other than having come to know something? Knowledge of that new subject or that subject. The scripture here says that God has a model for the Christian. The model is called the new man. The new man in Christ is something that God created. And it's a model for our lives. And the model for the new man is Jesus. That's what it says here. It says, according to the image of him who created him. According to the image of him who created the new man, which is Jesus created the new man. So the new man is created in the image of Jesus. He must increase. We must decrease. Jesus created the new man in you and me. And he's fashioned in the image of Jesus. Not in the image of who we used to be, but the image of Jesus in the Bible. Praise God. Today we have an opportunity to become new men and women in Jesus. Not the men we were a month ago or a year ago or ten years ago. We can be new people in Jesus because we are renewed by looking at Jesus who is the image of the new man. Are you following me? How do we get transformed into the image of Jesus? Who the new man is designed to look like. That's what the scripture says. Put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. The new man is renewed by knowing Jesus more. If we get to know Jesus more and more, we're going to be more and more like him. It's a supercharger to our transformation, knowing Jesus more and more. How do we know Jesus more and more? It's really quite simple, isn't it, brethren? We got to spend time with him. We got to read our Bibles. We got to pray. We got to rub elbows with people who are also being created in the image of the new man. Be filled with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God will transform us, won't He, from the inside out. And over time, all of us old, ugly mugs are going to look more and more like Jesus. No offense to you, I'm talking of myself, praise God. Especially as we obey Him. The new man is renewed in knowledge. The more you know Jesus, the more you are around him, spending time with him, listening, talking to him in prayer, in fellowshipping with our Christian brethren, we're going to have more knowledge of him. He will permeate your being. 
as you meditate on His Word and obey His Word, and as His Holy Spirit fills you and enables you. Praise God. His image, the image of Jesus, will transform us from the inside out. Praise God. What a wonderful feeling to be less of me and to be more like Jesus. I have quoted many times, brethren, the the concept, there's a, a book written about it, that you are most like the five people that you spend the most time with. They've done studies on this. Maybe the number is three, maybe the number is seven. But scripturally, we know that who we associate with is who affects us the most. That's a fact. That's why it's a blessing that we have, many of us have wives, right? Or, you know, or good friends. And they, they help us in the Lord. And often opposites attract. And so, you know, we become more like Jesus over time. We lose some of our rough edges. Praise God. At least I do through my wife. Praise God. <laughs> One of those people that we want to spend the most time with is Jesus. As we rub elbows with Jesus, so to speak, he's going to change us. Because he's going to influence us. Praise God. You know, one of the great things about Jesus is when you don't know what to do in a situation, all we got to do is obey what he says. Well, that sounds awful simple, doesn't it? But brethren, when Jesus walked on this earth, Jesus always did what he tells us now to do. Jesus, he's not asking us to do anything that he didn't do. He modeled for us what to do in every situation. He never asked us to do anything that he didn't do. And he did it perfectly. Praise God. So when, you, so when you do what he asks you to do, you are doing the things that Jesus himself did. Because that's what he did. He asked you to do the things that he did. And when we do the things that he did, we're doing what Jesus did. Praise God. How did I get that out? That's amazing. <laughs> when, you, when we obey what he says, we're doing what Jesus would do. And when we do what Jesus says to do, We're more like him. That's what discipleship is all about. Amen? Amen. Following Jesus is doing the things he tells us to do. You know, I don't laugh at that thing. People sometimes mock, what would Jesus do? That's not a bad motto. That's not a bad motto, what would Jesus do? Brethren, you should be asking in situations, what would Jesus do and how would he do it? That's the word of God at work in our lives. Praise God. Let's say I don't know what to do in this situation. Well, do your best by the grace of God, to do what Jesus would do, as best as you can from the Scriptures. Amen? And of course, we're not perfect. We fail. And season whatever you're going to do with the love and grace for good measure. When in doubt, throw some love and grace in there. And that'll cover cover some of our bungling. (laughs) Praise God. But brother, how do I know what Jesus would do in that situation? Exactly. How do you know what Jesus would do in that situation? You study Jesus. You study what Jesus did. And you're authorized to do the same obedient things for Jesus that Jesus did for the Father. The Bible says, come to him, learn of him. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Do your best to obey Jesus, and you're going to be created in the image of him who created the new man. Praise God. And you will desire to bury that old man that swore swore and thought bad thoughts and wanted to lie and do all the other characteristics of the flesh. Praise God. So the Christian walk is made up of the nature of Christ being more and more prominent in our life, and the I, the me, the my decreasing, and Christ gaining more foothold in our lives. We'll never be greater than our master. I won't be worthy to unlatch the sandals of the guy who would not unlatch the sandals of the guy. But we can imitate him. 
like the great book by Thomas de Kempis, The Imitation of Christ, right? As we imitate Jesus, Jesus gains ground in our lives. Praise God. More authority, more prominence, more noticeability. Hallelujah. But you know, brethren, there's more of us that must decrease and become hidden Christ. More than putting to death the old nature and putting off the works of the flesh and putting off the old man. More than the differences that separate people on this earth. There are qualities and characteristics that God has built into you that God wants to use for his glory. And these are not things that are necessarily good or bad. These are things of your personality, let's say, that God has put into you. That what, that's what makes you different than the guy up the pew from you. What makes you different? God can use those qualities. What, what kinds of qualities am I talking about? Well, there are many. There's many examples. But let me just give you a few examples to get you thinking. So things like, let's say, you would describe yourself as an organized person. Or you might describe yourself as a friendly person, a direct person, a thoughtful person, a determined person, a detailed person, a big picture person, someone with a lot of drive, a content person, a sensitive person, a patient person, an analytical person, a bull in a china shop person. These are all characteristics of who you are, the way God made you. How would you describe yourself in a one-word sentence? That's what I'm talking about. That's a, tough, that's a tough assignment. Might be a long sentence. Things like being a, a steady person, which in Christ is wonderful, right? If you're, a, if you're a steady, faithful, committed type of person, that's a wonderful characteristic. But, you know, in the wrong ways, it can be a bad characteristic. Those same characteristics can turn into stubbornness. And stubbornness, the Bible says, is both iniquity and idolatry. Or maybe you're a sensitive person, which can be beneficial in Christ, or it can be terrible for us. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Or you're a perfectionist, which, which God can use, but it can also be very harmful to you as well. God can use these characteristics in us for the good, or in, in some cases, we can misuse those characteristics too. Selfishly, perhaps. And then our nature does not serve the kingdom's purposes. There are many characteristics that God has put in you in our nature that make up who we are. And you know, brethren, it's, it's helpful. It's helpful to have a sense of what kind of a person you are. As you get to know Jesus more and more, I believe he gives us insights into who we are and what makes us tick. It's wisdom from the Lord. It's wisdom from above to have that perception and that understanding. And those qualities or characteristics used in one way, they can elevate self, they can make self too important, but used in a different way, hidden in Christ, they can lift up Jesus and serve the purpose of the kingdom of God. Used for God's glory, hidden in Christ, they can be wonderful gifts. Remember what John said, he must increase, but I must de decrease. And I got thinking about this because I was reading about Jacob in the Bible, in the book of Hosea, and I realized what a powerhouse personality, and what a force of nature Jacob the patriarch was. And I'm not going to get into his life tonight, but I started thinking about his characteristics. The force of, and Brother Brian's preached about him at length, and, and many times here he's been preached about over the years by Brother Bob, and the guy was a force of nature. He was such a force of nature that he wrestled with God, the Bible says. He wrestled with the angel of the Lord, and, the, and as daytime approached, the angel of the Lord, which was Jesus, actually, in that application, 
in order to break free from Jacob, he actually had to dislocate Jacob's hip. And Jacob still didn't quit. He still didn't quit. He wanted to be blessed by God. So it got me thinking about our characteristics in the Lord. There's no doubt that whatever we are, God wants to use that characteristic for his glory. And I don't want to talk about anybody else in the congregation tonight, so I'm going to pick on myself for a moment. Confess your faults one to another. So I'm going to say to you tonight that, believe it or not, when I was younger, and probably to some degree still, I was very sensitive. I was a very sensitive person. And I'm probably that way still to some degree. And of course, some of you share that characteristic as well. Now, whether I was born that way, or it was the influence of my family upbringing, um, or a combination of both, that's the way I was early in my life. And there are many bad aspects of being uh, overly sensitive. There's many bad aspects. And I thank God that he has delivered me from many or most of them. The bad side of being overly sensitive was I was overly self-protective. And I also strove to always try to be perfect in order to avoid criticism. Because there was a lot of, I'd say, criticism, I would say, in my household uh, over the years. So anyway, that wasn't good. And I certainly couldn't be perfect. I was a miserable failure at being perfect, though I was trying to be. But in Christ, on the good side, in the same way that I was sensitive to comments from my parents and my siblings and things like that, I find that the Lord has used that sensitivity in him to help me hear his voice and listen to him. You know, I haven't completely lost that characteristic. The Lord knows how to get my attention, as he does with all of us. So the bad side of sensitivity is when it's centered on self, it can make one closed and overly protective and defensive and depressed. But when self is crucified, those reactions are abandoned. The effect of the word of God rubbing on us And rubbing on me is that I have learned to welcome criticism. Welcome it. Even even rebuke if it comes from a trusted source. As I know it makes me better in Christ. All the scriptures on loving correction, on discipline, have worked their effect on me over 46 years. You know, my wife loves to watch cooking shows. Where's he going with this? And cooking competitions. And as a bystander to those shows, because I'm just a bystander, I'm usually on my laptop and I watch it out of the corner of my eye. So I love one thing about the kitchen culture. I love one thing about the kitchen culture. And it's not really that prevalent in the outside world today. And it should be. You know know what the expression I love? Yes, chef. Yes, chef. The sous chefs, the line chefs, the waiters. When the head chef says, this is not hot enough, This needs more salt. They don't respond, yes, but I thought, or you didn't tell me, or some other, or John. They say, yes, chef. Yes, chef. That's the way, that's all they say. Yes, chef. Yes, chef is an acknowledgement of the message that they need to improve, that we're headed for a finished product that's excellent, that people will like the restaurant and come back, which is good for everybody. Yes, chef is a wonderful system from the kitchen world that Christians can learn from. Yes, chef. You're striving towards helping me produce a beautiful finished product and to become a better chef myself, to work my way up the chef ranks. Yes, chef, you are the expert. I work for you because it is your standard that we are seeking. Yes, chef, I want to get better. I humbly listen and try to obey. You know, that's missing in our American culture today. It's one of the reasons that discipleship is difficult in America. We are missing that yes, chef attitude. We really are. You know, in your employment, young people, I encourage you to say, yes, sir, or yes, ma'am. 
You know, you could make an excuse, but just say, yes, sir, or yes, ma'am. Don't be defensive. Say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. Apply the lesson. You know, I own a business, and all my customers are my bosses. When you own your own business, you don't have one boss. You have hundreds of bosses. You have thousands of bosses. You know what I say to my customers? Good afternoon, sir. Yes, sir. If they have a criticism, unless it's really unfounded, I take it to heart, and I try to improve. Praise God. And in the, in, in the kingdom, certainly, we should be saying, yes, Lord. And not be defensive with the Lord. And to be more like Jesus. We want to be more like Jesus, right? Jesus must increase. We must decrease. If a trusted older brother in Christ says some type of an admonition or a correction or even a rebuke, let's say, yes, brother. And if the shepherd of the flock, the pastor, has, God has placed you under, says something, yes, pastor. No explanations needed. No words needed. Apply it in our lives. Praise God. This is very healthy stuff. It's the work of God to mold us and shape us. That's what the role of the church is, and the offices of the church, too. For your well-being, for my well-being. Amen? The Bible says, iron sharpens iron, as I've previously preached about. Iron restores the edge of other iron. God is in the business of shaping us. Praise God. Let's go to Isaiah 64, please. Isaiah 64, verse 8. Are you still with me? Hallelujah. Supposed to say yes, Jeff. Sixty-four, verse eight. God is in the business of shaping us, and He uses all different instruments to do so. Isaiah sixty-four, eight. But now, O Lord, you are our Father; we are the clay. And you, our potter, and all we are, the work of your hand. God is always working in our lives to make us the vessels he desires. And he's working towards each vessel in him to be a bearer about in this world of his son through the Holy Spirit. So you're sensitive. God can use that. You can make it all about you. I'm hurt. I'm defensive. I'm shutting down. Or you can trust the word of God and know that correction, admonition, and even rebuke can be healthy tools in Christ to let him increase and to help us to decrease. Let's take another one. God can use an inherent desire to be perfect in your life. He can use that. Perfectionism to be more like Jesus in every way, that's a wonderful thing. But that perfectionism can get in the way of God's will being done in your life. It definitely can. Think about someone who wants to have a perfect-looking house before they are willing to use it for fellowship or just generally to have people over and use hospitality. That can be a stumbling block, the desire to have a perfectly executed and finished home. Or a preacher who wants to have a perfect word before he shares it. He's never going to preach. Perfectionism can freeze you from usefulness. And it's not wrong to have a decent home that honors Jesus. But, you know, when I was a teenager, the Lord used a husband and wife, Jim and Dolores, on Long Island in my life. I don't remember much about their simple home. I remember they had a tiny little kitchen. But I also remember we had wonderful fellowship around that that kitchen table. In that little tiny, I think it was a flat, a part of a house. And I couldn't tell you even what their house looks like. I just remember it was small, and I was always welcome there. And it wasn't a perfect house, I imagine. But I felt perfectly loved. Praise God. 
We don't have to have perfect homes to have the presence of Jesus there. Our homes should be like our Spanish brethren say, Danada. It's nothing. It's nothing. That's not the important part. The important part is that Jesus is there. Think of Mary and Martha, right? Think of Mary and Martha. You know, Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. Can you imagine sitting at the feet of Jesus? And Martha was trying to be the perfect hostess, wasn't she? She was running all around executing the naan and the, and the, and the hummus and the falafels and whatever else, the olives and doing all that good stuff that I love to eat. But Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. How many, more, how many times in the future was Jesus going to be in that house? How many times? I don't know. She missed an opportunity in her pursuit of perfectionism as a hostess. She missed an opportunity to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his words. It's hard to take in the words of Jesus when you're running around like a chicken without a head. Speaking of perfection and, and, and the house, as a side note, Brother Brian asked me if I could mention something about this in my message as it relates to music and home fellowships. And uh, I think this is a good place for it right here. So the message is this. Sure, brethren, let's do the best we can with the music in our homes. But let's not lose the beauty and simplicity of singing simple songs unto the Lord. With or without musical accompaniment. Let's do the best we can, right? But let's not get caught up in the concentration on musicality and instrumentation and directing that is so prevalent in Christian music today. And even here where it's appropriate, we have all the tools here, right? It's never going to be achieved like here in the home fellowships, never. So let's set our expectations much lower. You know, there's an expression I hold to in life. Do the best you can with what you got where you're at. That's a great expression. So brethren, with home fellowship music, do the best you can with what you got and where you're at. And that's a very biblical pattern. Think of, think of the Psalms. How many of the Psalms were written by David out with the flocks of sheep, a cappello, under the stars? How many Psalms were written when he was being pursued by Saul in the wilderness? Right? Beautiful Psalms of the Word of God. Let's think, about, let's think about Paul and Silas in the, in the dungeon, it says, right, in Acts 16. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. You know, brethren, in, in the home fellowships, we're not in dungeons. <laughs> we're in the comfort of our warm homes surrounded by our beloved brethren. May we pray and sing hymns to God. And may those imprisoned hear those songs and be set free. Praise God. In the book of Ephesians, it says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Here's the one another ministry actively at work again. Speaking to one another, singing to one another, and submitting to one another. Praise God. You know, sometimes, brethren, the simplest things in life are the best things in life. You take the most simple, the most simple bread formula that there is. Water, flour, salt, and yeast. for You know, the leavened bread. The most simple formula. And that bread, fresh from the oven, is delicious. And it's better than the bread that has cheese on top and olives inside and spices that's two days old. That's two days old. I'll take the fresh bread from the oven. Praise God. You can eat what you want. Hallelujah.
Let's rejoice in the simplicity, brethren. Let's do the best we can with what we got where we're at. Praise God. Let our worship be hid in Christ. Let him increase and us decrease. What's another quality that, can, that God gives us? I'm almost done here. Then have a bad side and a good side to it. How about the ability to talk? Some people have the gift of gab, as they say. My wife says I have the gift of gab. I'm actually a pretty quiet person, but except, except when I'm talking. <laughs> no, but I can, go for, I can go for long periods of time without talking, trust me. That's when I'm recharging my batteries, praise God. Anyway, you know, can that gift to be, be used to lift up self? Oh, yeah. To have self increase, more noticeable, more prominent, more, yeah. It sure can, and it's often used in that way, isn't it? Like our song we sing, we can talk about ourselves, we can talk about other people, we can talk about the weather, about all kinds of unimportant things, right? But we can talk about Jesus. Our tongues can be used to encourage others, to speak up for Jesus, and to witness. Right? So it can be used either way, talking about self, talking about Jesus. So there are many wonderful qualities that we could go over, right? Many, many wonderful qualities. Hallelujah. I'm not going to cover them all tonight, because I can't. (laughs) Praise God. And the last one I want to cover is is this one. You know, let's turn there. 1 Samuel 15, 23. I wasn't going to cover this one, but I feel like I'm disobeying the Lord if I don't cover this. So I'm going to cover it. First Samuel 15, 23. Samuel said this to Saul. He said, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has also rejected you from being king. You know, there's many good qualities in the Lord, like steadfastness, determination, grit, and even maybe a good application of stubbornness. You're just stubborn to serve Jesus. That's okay. But you know, stubbornness can become a problem, too. It can become a problem. It can become a problem when we're so committed to stubbornness that we no longer follow the word of the Lord. We no longer follow the leading of his Holy Spirit. When we dig in our heels, and when we do that, brethren, what we're doing is we're saying, I, me, my ways, my will is raised up, and it's really important to me, and it becomes an idol. That's why the Bible says it's both sin and it's an idol. We don't want to be idols to ourselves. We don't want to let our will and our determination and our stick to become idols in among themselves, right? We want to stay malleable and flexible in Jesus. We want to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. We want to follow the Lord. When the cloud is moving, don't get left behind. We want to follow the Lord closely. Amen? That's all I want to say about that. The shoe fits where it. Praise God, as Brother Bob used to say. So I hope each one of us can think about our lives and our characteristics in Jesus and think about how we can use those characteristics for his glory and let him increase in our lives. Amen, brethren? And let ourselves decrease in him. That's all I have to share tonight. Praise God. I'm going to pray and and dismiss you. And uh, thank you for your attention. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, thank you for everyone who's here tonight. Thank you for your word. Please help us to apply it in our lives. Please help Jesus be lifted up and increase. Please help ourselves to decrease. Help our lives as we know them to be hidden in Christ, Father. Please have your way. 
And everyone here tonight, please bless tomorrow in their homes. Let them be blessed in you and help us to follow you and have a good Friday night fellowship in you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, brethren.